turn to Philippians chapter 4. So this Christmas season, we've been walking through the, the gifts of Christmas, gifts that God gives us as a result of our relationship with Christ. And we started out looking at love. Last week, we looked at hope. And this week, we're going to look at a gift that every single person in the world desperately desires. In fact, we have songs about it. Uh, we sing about it in this particular season. Uh, Non-Christians, they desperately want this, can't find it. A lot of Christians, we would say, yeah, I've got it. But in reality, if we kind of took a look at our heart and kind of how we go through our life, um, it might be glaringly absent. And I'm talking specifically about the gift that God gives us. It is the gift of joy. Now, just because you want it doesn't mean that you know how to receive this gift that God has given us. And let me just tell you that joy in Christ is to life what like gas is to your car. Okay, we know that there is a fuel for our car that if that, our car is like on empty, it's not going to function the way it intended. And the Christian life is intended for us to experience joy in Christ and to find our joy in Christ no matter what our circumstances. And that's where the trouble lies. But just like our cars need gas, so our lives need joy, specifically joy in Christ. Now, you can try to fill your car with something other than gasoline, okay? Like, for instance, Waco made Powerade might do good for the body and might feel, make you feel a little bit stronger. However, you pour that into the gas tank, and guess what? No matter how good it is, it's not going to work. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Montana, there was a little neighbor boy. His name was Dusty. And uh, Dusty was kind of the pride of his grandfather. And uh, Dusty had a way of always getting into trouble. And my parents would regularly tell me that whatever he was doing, don't do it. Okay? And it was kind of hard because I'd see the guy and he was doing some pretty interesting things. And and uh, every once in a while, we'd get in some trouble because I was hanging out with Dusty. And then one day, I remember that, like, he, he really did something really serious. I could tell by the reaction of, of people like his grandfather and my parents. He actually had gone to his grandfather's car, and he filled the gas tank with little pebbles. And I don't know how long it took him, but he just kind of put them all in there. And uh, I don't know exactly how they figured out. I just remember that there were a lot of upset people, and my parents wanted me to make it crystal clear in my head that what he did was absolutely wrong and never to do it, okay? Because that car is never going to run with kind of rocks in its gas tank. Well, our lives, apart from knowing joy in Christ and knowing how to rejoice in him, it's like we're not going to be moving forward. And God cannot give you happiness and peace apart from himself. It doesn't exist. It is always found in him. There's no such thing as joy and true happiness apart from your relationship with Christ. And see, joy is the gladness and the confidence that comes when we are knowing God's presence. Even when we face trouble, failure, difficulties, distress, joy is knowing the gladness and the confidence from coming to know God's presence. And the book of Philippians, it's all about receiving the gift of joy. In fact, in chapters, chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Paul is revealing the key to a life of joy. And let me tell you that if, if you hang in here and really take the full 
uh, value, the words that are given here, your life will be revolutionized by joy in Christ. So he writes here in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. He says rejoice. The word rejoice has the idea that you express praise and thanksgiving to God. And specifically, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. It is not rejoicing in your circumstances, not necessarily rejoicing in your past, how things are going for you in the present, or what you anticipate in the future. Joy is found in the Lord. And if you really want to know who Jesus is, the book of Philippians just kind of outlines this. In chapter 2, you find out that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who entered into humanity And he does so for the purpose of paying the penalty for sin. He literally, he dies so that those who believe in him can experience forgiveness, eternal life. We're going to find out can experience eternal joy. In fact, he is the Lord of lords and one day every knee is going to bow before him. I know right now as a country, we'd like to have nothing to do with Jesus. We always are trying to jettison God and Christ out of our society. And it only takes a serious tragedy like we went through this week for us to all of a sudden, hey, all of a sudden we're going to go back to God, even though we're always trying to escort him out of our life, out of our country. But he is the Lord of Lords. And one day, no matter whether you're an atheist or the most devout believer, your knee will bow before him who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the absolute sovereign one, just one, gracious, loving, merciful And if you're going to experience joy in life, it is found in rejoicing in the Lord always. Not just when you feel like it, not when, I think the setting's right, music's right, lights are everything. I I think it's my moment. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. It is always to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, he says, again, I will say, Rejoice. He says, verse 5, let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. That gentle spirit has the idea of being calm, gracious, reasonable, caring. It's not angry or arrogant. It is a state of mind and heart that comes from knowing the presence of God. And that's why he says in verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to just believe. It's like it's all coming apart. And like life is is over as we know it because Christ is always with you. In fact, the beauty of the gospel is that if you are truly trusting Christ as Lord and Savior, his spirit actually dwells in your heart and your life. He dwells in our hearts by faith. And Jesus said, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Anybody know where that was found? Yeah? Okay, I think I heard it. Yeah, Matthew 28. It's Jesus' final words with the Great Commission. I want you to go to make disciples of all the nations. I know you can't do it, but I'm going to do it through you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13:5 says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. You find your joy, your stability, your purpose, your identity in me And you're going to be able to move forward and to experience joy in life. And joy is essential. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, 
rejoice. This is so critical to Christian living that if you've missed this and you don't know how to experience truly rejoicing in the Lord, your life is glaringly going to reflect that. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, just a chapter away, he wrote this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Do you get the theme? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He says to write the same things again. You know what? It is no trouble for me, but it is a safeguard for you. Paul says, it doesn't matter how many times I have to write this. It's not a big deal for me. Not a problem. It is a safeguard for you. A safeguard is kind of like a guardrail. And if you've ever driven on some mountain roads or some roads that have some pretty serious curves, you notice these guardrails there, okay? And the idea is that you don't want to run into them, right? Okay? Some of you have kind of glanced aside there, and it just kind of puts you back on the road. That's how a guardrail works. The guardrail keeps you from going over the cliff, okay? And they're sturdy. They're built that way to keep you on the road. Well, rejoicing in the Lord is the guardrail for life to keep you from going over the emotional cliff, to go over to the abyss of depression and discouragement. And so how do you prevent yourself? God's guardrail in life is to find your joy in Christ and to rejoice in him. That's how it works. And we under, I think we understand that. I bet a lot of us could quote Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. But here's the, there's the problem. Here's where we get stuck. We know it. Uh, we believe it because we believe that the Bible is absolutely from God. It's, it's his word. We trust it. And yet, so often we go through life and we're discouraged, we're depressed, we're operating on fumes. Oftentimes, especially in Christmas, we're kind of operating on like autopilot, Right? I mean, we're just showing up at the job, we're trying to do that, and we got this event here, and we got people, and we got presents, and we got family gatherings, and things, and the things you're dreading, and you've got an unstable economy, and you've got some horrific events that are taking place, and what happens is, is that we just, we know the text, in fact, we believe that, yeah, it'll protect us, and yet, could our life be characterized by joy? And I'm telling you, I'm not like, speaking from like theory or I've heard this happens to others I see it in my own heart my own life circumstances have a way of just winding you downward and so how do you rejoice in the Lord if it is that critical it prevents us from going over this emotional cliff it's essential to the Christian life how in the world do you rejoice in the Lord what does that look like how do you do it Well, let me just tell you simply, we rejoice in the Lord by offering him praise and thanksgiving for three things. First of all, for who he is. If you want to rejoice in the Lord, how do you do it? You thank him and you praise him for who he is. And so you have to look at the pages of scripture. Who is God? He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all present. He is sovereign. He's in control. No matter how bad things get down here, God has not abandoned his throne. He's not gone on a vacation. He's not gone on a hiatus. Even if 
uh, a lot of folks in the country are like, we don't want God in our schools. We don't want him in our prayers. We don't want any sign of him. We're going to always be on the attack to try to get God jettisoned out of our society. Or you've got millions of people that are going to worship, worship a false deity. God does not abandon his world. He is on his throne because he's sovereign and he's in control. And he will only allow evil to go so far. And even on the events like the second worst shooting in a school in our nation's history, and people ask, well, well, where is God? By the way, these are oftentimes the very same people that say, we don't want God on, on anywhere. We don't want, certainly have prayer anywhere. And we're really trying to get that in God we trust off our money. Right? Where is God? Well, God was in the exact same place where he was when his son was crucified for our sin. When evil ran rampant and God had the payment for sin satisfied, his just wrath satisfied in his son, he's right there and he's still in control. And so we, we rejoice by giving him praise and thanksgiving for who he is, that he's good, that he's righteous, that he's just, that he's forgiving, that he is loving, he is holy. And so do you really want joy? You have to worship him and give thanks. If you don't, I don't care how often you show up at church or how many Bibles you have in your house, you won't have joy because you are putting the wrong fuel in your gas tank. You must worship. You worship him for who he is. Let me tell you the second. You give thanks and worship him for what he does. What he does. That he is a deliverer, a rescuer, a redeemer. That he, he gives and shows acts of mercy and grace all the time. And we take it for granted. I mean, just even think about the past week. How many times did you give thanks to God for his work in your life and in our world? Or did you like, eh, I just assume these things. We have to give praise and thanks for what he does. And he is constantly at work. And every once in a while we see these fingerprints of God's mercy and grace. Whether you were healed from some sort of disease or God rescued you, some sort of financial calamity, or he mended a relationship, or he bought strength, or he gave you peace in the midst of trouble, we must thank him because that is where joy is and that's how we rejoice in him. And finally, if you really want to rejoice in the Lord, not only you rejoice for who he is, what he's done, but what he gives. He's gracious. He gives spiritual strength, physical strength. He gives life, forgiveness, hope, peace, joy. He is a God who continually gives, and so we give thanks and praise for what he gives. And friends, simply this, joy comes from focusing on Jesus. As you focus on him, as you see him in his grandeur and his goodness and his loveliness and his power and his might, not some sort of emasculated Jesus that's popular in various university settings. We're after the historical Jesus. And of course he didn't do any miracles because that would make him God. We don't want to have that. No. We worship God as he's revealed himself. Jesus as he is. And as you see him as he is, as he is, you have a powerful faith. You've got a confidence in God that leads to peace because you're knowing his presence. And that's where joy is found. And over and over in the scriptures, God says, I want you to find your praise and adoration in me. This is to be the activity of your heart 
and of your days. Like in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, he says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's an interesting way of putting it. Sacrifice of praise. Because sometimes life hurts. And to praise God in the midst of the storm, or when someone's sick, or your health is jeopardized, or there's some sort of tragedy that's going on, it is a sacrifice of praise. And he says, but yet it is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And so that's what it looks like, friends. Did you really want joy? Or do you want to kind of keep plowing on? Plowing on like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I feel terrible, okay? Is that, or do you like, you know, I, when I see mature saints, and praise God, we've got a lot of mature saints at all sorts of ages in our church. And you're like, how is it that they're joyful in the midst of these difficulties? Well, I'll tell you. They have learned the secret of authentically praising God no matter what their situation. They find their joy in Jesus. Now, when we talk about rejoicing the Lord, it isn't some sort of like making mindless statements that are totally divorced from reality. Like when you hit your hand with a hammer, you ever done that? Okay. Or your knee. I remember doing that in college, man, just sent me down on the ground for like a half hour. Okay. And it's painful and you're not like, oh, thank you, God. That was just wonderful. Okay. Or you crash your car and you don't just jump out like, praise the Lord. I just wrecked my car. Okay. Okay. It's not, that's not rejoicing in the Lord, like divorced to reality. Like he's a pretty spiritual guy, you know, and all these bad things are happening to him. House burned down. Praise God. Let me tell you, though, what it is. Rejoicing the Lord is rooted and grounded in authenticity. It's not this superficial, paste on the smile, make everything look good. We're, of course, everything's great, you know, and your life is all crumbling. It's not, let me just tell you, the scriptures beckon us, they urge us, they call us, they plead with us, be real with God. Stop pretending with others and pretending with him. Because let me just tell you what happens. If you are in the, the pattern of pretending, eventually you just stop going to God altogether. Because I don't feel, ah, and you just, and you're like, I give up. And there are a lot of folks that do that. You want to you see what authenticity looks like? Psalm 62, verse 8, where that's where he actually says, pour out your heart before God. Tell him what is going on. God is a refuge for us. And so, He says, I want you to be real. Tell me what is going on. But from the depth of your being, find your sense of stability, purpose in Jesus, who is the rock and the refuge. Now, you're like the Apostle Paul. Where do you think he is when he's writing about this joy? I mean, he's got to be in a pretty good situation, right? I mean, what is the what is the best situation? Like, if you could just like, you know, I think I could be extremely joyful if I was in this situation. Okay? Like, for me, I'll just tell you, if I was in Glacier National Park, in like one of the coolest lodges that they had, and I was sitting next to a huge fireplace, you know, and I had some hot chocolate, and I had some good food coming, you know, I would be like, you know, it's about as good as it gets. I think heaven's going to be something like that, you know? You got your own idea of what good is, right? Well, you think I could write about joy, and I could make some really good statements and make a real nice theory about rejoicing the Lord always. But you know where Paul is when he's writing this, don't you? He's not on some certification. 
He's not taking a hiatus. He's like, I'm going to take a little sabbatical and I'm going to write about joy and, I'm gonna, and God is going to work through me and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, we will give a letter of joy to a bunch of hurting people for every generation. No, as is usually how God works, you've got to go through the depths to understand. And Paul is writing this from prison. If you ever read anything about Roman imprisonment, it was oftentimes a very humiliating, painful, bloody ordeal. Stripped, cold, malnourished, beaten, mocked. And Paul writes about joy. And he says, this is the secret. You can have calamity, hardship. You could have, you have total failure in your face. You could have seemingly no earthly hope. But let me tell you where joy is found. It's found in focusing on Jesus. And so you might think like, well, isn't it dishonest, though, to, to give thanks and praise to God when you don't feel like it? I mean, I don't feel very happy or joyful. So that would be hypocrisy. And so I better not do it. Well, actually, it's very interesting. The Bible does never commands us to feel thankful in every situation. It doesn't command us to somehow manipulate some sort of emotion to make us kind of feel happy. Actually, it commands us to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks. And you're like, really? You're kidding. In every circumstance, give me a text, right? And I like that. I like when people say, show me from the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Never. Always, what does the scripture say? You want a text? First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Dr. John Mitchell, founder of Multnomah School of the Bible, said this quote. To give thanks when you don't feel like it is not hypocrisy, it's obedience. It's obeying. It is doing as the scripture has said. So you be honest with your feelings. You tell God about the hurt and about the pain. And you may not be able to praise him like you did last week or even last year. But you say, God, you are my hope and my joy. And you start looking for the things to be thankful about, starting with Christ himself. And don't, don't do this, friends. Don't postpone praising until you feel like it. Because you know what? That might be a long time from now. I mean, life is hard, isn't it? Is there anybody here that's just like, I haven't had really any trouble or problems in a long time, like many years? Or could we just tell you, most of us, including me, because right now I'm going through a series of a couple trials, and I, and I find that they just keep running through my head, and they are difficult. And I actually don't even know how they're all going to work out. And so I find that struggle. If I wait for the feeling to come, you know what? I could still be waiting. It's not about your feelings. It is about finding your joy in Christ and rejoicing in him always. And joy comes when we direct our heart back to God. That means actively seeking him, not just passively waiting for some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling to hit you. Because you might be waiting a long time. And let me just tell you, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm taking you on a journey of spiritual depth. 
But if you want to see what spiritual maturity looks like, what depth and rejoicing in the Lord looks like, just stay with me for just a couple minutes. Let me take you to like Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. These are psalms that are written in times of great distress. There's difficulties. People are asking, hey, why, why is God treating you so bad? Where is he? I thought you're one of his. And life seems to be pretty crummy for you. And so you got that pressure going on. In Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, you've got this, this psalm of, and you're praying for deliverance. And there's oppression and there's mourning. There's this, God, help me. But in the midst of all this struggle and this trial, I mean, do your heart well to actually look at the Psalms. He's still calling out to God, my rock, my life, my deliverance, the one who lifts my countenance. But both Psalms, these Psalms of prayers for deliverance in the midst of great difficulty and hardship, both Psalms end with this statement. Why are you in despair Oh, my soul. What's going on there? Who's he talking to? Who is he talking to? Why are you despair? Oh, my soul. Who's he talking to? He's actually directing his soul. He's, it's like having a conversation, in a sense, with your soul. Because he says, why are you in despair? Oh, my soul. He is actively addressing the situation. And he says, and why have you become disturbed within me? And then look at this. He directs his heart, his soul, back to God to trust him. He says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. You see, that's where spiritual maturity kicks in. Instead of living by your feelings, which are always whipping you around like a flag in the wind, you direct your heart to God. God, especially when you don't feel like it. I'm like, so is that a, like a one-time deal? No. Uh, it's a regular deal. And it often, if you find yourself kind of being whipped around, you must direct your heart back to God. Why are you troubled, O oh my soul? Or if you want another example of that, in Psalm 103, where you get another example of rejoicing comes when we direct our hearts back to God. That's the psalm that says this. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Who's he talking about? He, who's he talking to? He's, he's directing his soul to praise God, to rejoice in him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. This psalm was likely written when he didn't feel like praising God or rejoicing in him. Which you and I, there's times we just don't feel like it, Right? I'm the only one, huh? Okay, well, Grant, sometimes you don't feel like it. This is what you do. You bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's directing his soul, and he says, and forget none of his benefits. Think of the blessings and the benefits of God, who pardons all your iniquities, all of your sin. He's the one who pardons it, who heals all your diseases. You ever been healed? From a cut or an injury or an illness? Seriously? Who did that? Uh, the doctors? No. Ask them. We don't heal. We just try to facilitate. But God does the healing. He's the one who's brought healing. Forget none of his benefits. He heals all your diseases. He pardons your iniquities. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. 
And he satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so he's saying, direct your heart and your soul to him. And see, the more we look at the goodness and the loveliness of God, of Christ, our hearts are drawn to rejoicing. But it's not automatic. I, I really wish we just were always fixed and focused on Jesus. But the reality is, we're not. And, and, we're, and we struggle. And let me give you another one where people really struggle. We feel like if we're grieving, we can't have joy. Let me just tell you, and I, and I talked with a very dear lady in our church who's grieving yesterday. And we talked about the reality that you can have grief and joy at the same time. The human heart, as God has designed it, you can be grieving the loss and experiencing the pain and the loneliness and the hurt, but you can still find your joy in Christ. Paul wrote the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He said, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Yeah, we got sorrowful, sorrow, but we are always rejoicing because we have Jesus And so life is hurting. Life is painful. Children have died. Got difficulties. I can still rejoice in the Lord. And let me tell you, friends, we have supernatural help. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, He actually invests in our life to draw us to Christ, to His loveliness, to His holiness. The Spirit of God wants to fill our hearts and our lives with rejoicing. It is always, he is always beckoning us, go back to Christ, focus on him. In fact, right now, he's at work. The word is open, your heart is open. The spirit of God is saying, focus on Jesus. He's the joy of life. And so there's a classic text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Do not get drunk with wine, that is Utter waste. That's what the word dissipation means. And let me just tell you, in this holiday season, there are going to be a lot of folks, and they're, they're going to want happiness, and they're going to want some sense of joy. And so they're going to try to find it in a counterfeit measure. And they're going to try to find it in alcohol, in whatever form it might take. And why do they do that? We kind of think, wow. Well, this will kind of help set the mood. This will set the tone. This will make me at least feel a little bit more relaxed and chilled out for a little bit. And this will loosen everybody up and everybody will be happy. There's nothing wrong with happiness. God says, but I want you to have joy. So he says, don't get drunk with wine. That's totally wasteful. He says, on the other hand, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to yield to the Spirit, His direction, and just say, God, I want you to fill me. Fill me with your perspective, your peace. Remind me once again that you're sovereign and you're in control. Remind me again that you love me, that you're not just tolerating me. Even with all my sin and all my failures, you love me. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Experience the forgiveness. And he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even God the Father. You see, what happens is when we're filled with the Spirit, when we are focusing on God, our hearts start giving a melody of joy. It is music to the ears of God. It brings joy to the heart of his people. 
And Paul simply says, rejoice in the Lord. So why do we, if, if rejoicing in the Lord is so good, and it is how we live, it is the fuel for joyful, authentic Christian living, why in the world do we neglect it so easily? How come we're not like just bees just attracted to pollen or like kids to cookies? How come, how come it's not that way? Why isn't it? Why is it that we just get all embittered and our stomach gets tied up in knots and we're going through all these pressures and we, and, and it's like, I know these things and yet it's not my reality. Let me give you three reasons why we neglect to find our joy in Christ. One, it's one of Satan's major strategies to divert us from rejoicing. He can't rob you of your eternal life. If you are truly Christ, one of Christ, you belong to him, you're trusting him, he can never separate you from the love of the Father. But he can do a pretty good job of separating you from joy in Christ. In fact, it might be one of his strongest suits. He's highly effective. See, Satan knows that God is praised when we find our joy in simply Jesus. Not our stuff, not our circumstance, not our thing. And so he's going to do everything he can to try to get your focus on anything but Christ. Let me give you another reason. Our flesh prevails over our spirits, dampens our desire to glorify God, and makes us restless and selfish, and our flesh is always drawn to sin. And one thing that certainly brings about a lack of joy in our life is sin. If you are knowingly sinning, what you need to do is confess immediately. Agree with God, this is, this is apart from your holiness, because it is robbing you of the joy of fellowship with him. I don't care if it's some sort of little private sin that you've got going on with your computer. You're lying. You're, you've done something wrong. You're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Whatever it is, let me assure you, you want to for, confess it and experience forgiveness because you're missing out on joy in Christ. And let me give you a third reason why we neglect to find our joy in Christ. We are rushing too much and we are resting too little. We are going at about 175 miles an hour. And we're missing the pure and simple presence of Jesus. When we rejoice in the Lord, we're not trying to manipulate God. Oh, I'm going to rejoice in you because I really want you to do this for me. No, it's unconditional. I find my joy in your presence. And let me tell you, we're sinners. You and I, we sin. You might have noticed, right? We hurt each other. We hurt ourselves. When we rejoice in the Lord in our midst of our failures and in our flaws, you know what it does? It indicates we truly know the Redeemer because it's not about you living the perfect life. It's about finding your joy in the perfect Son of God. And you know what? In the times we're discouraged and depressed and when we rejoice in the Lord, perhaps that is the times that God is most exalted in us. So when we rejoice in the Lord, let me just, let me just tell you the many blessings that happen. Our faith is strengthened. Our peace is increased. When we rejoice in the Lord, our mind is renewed, specifically with the character of God that He's loving, He's good, that He's sovereign, He's in control. Our mind's renewed. It's, it's, it's freeing, it's joyful, it's awesome. Our life is changed. Literally, you could say like Paul does just a few verses down, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Circumstances are against me. 
problems I'm facing, and yet, you know what? I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. It comes when you find your joy in the Lord. You know when you find your joy in the Lord? Your testimony is validated. It says that Christ is greater than your circumstances. And finally, our God is exalted. When we learn to rejoice in the Lord, our lives reflect his presence. So today, rejoice in the Lord. I know that there's some football games that some of you are very interested in. That's all great. Just make sure you take some time to rejoice in the Lord. In between sections of the newspaper, rejoice in the Lord. When you're getting ready for the day and you're admiring how beautiful you are and you are just very beautiful people, I just want to affirm you on that, okay? Rejoice in the Lord. When you're driving to work, you can tune on the news and it's going to be depressing. You're like, you know, I'll take five minutes. I'll get to the news. I'm going to find my joy, stability in Christ. And you rejoice in the Lord. You give him praise and you, and you thank him. Instead of replaying passwords, I think I'm going to run that through for about the 5,000th time. Why don't you try this? Rejoice in the Lord. When you're, when you're exercising, you're brushing your teeth, rejoice in the Lord because this. As we learn to rejoice in the Lord, our lives reflect his presence in us. Joy comes, friends, from focusing on Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Bob Record. He's an author. He wrote a book called Forged by Fire, How God Shapes Those He Loves. I'd like to read you an excerpt from this book. He says, as I write this book, I'm having to exercise faith of dealing with the prison of pain. Unexpectedly, I suffered a severe cervical spinal injury. The pain was so excruciating, the hospital staff couldn't even get me into the MRI until they had significantly sedated me. The MRI showed significant damage at three major points in the in this cervical area. And the orthopedic surgeon assistant later told me, Bob, your neck is a wreck. He said, there was hardly any way I could avoid surgery. Because of the swelling of injured nerve bundles, the only way I could relieve the pain was to use a strong prescribed narcotic and to lie on bags of ice. Sleep, what little there was, came only by sitting in a reclining chair. Approximately 48 hours from the onset of the injury, the doctors estimated that I had lost about 80% of strength in my left arm. Three fingers in my left hand totally lost feeling. Even the slightest movements would send pain waves hurtling down my left side and shoulder. To add insult to injury, the physician said I had to step away completely from my work, which I love, and begin to wear a neck brace 24 hours a day for the next five weeks. About halfway through this experience, I found myself sitting on the screened-in porch behind our home. The day was cold and blustery, but I was committed to being outside just for a change of scenery. And suddenly, a bird landed on the railing and began to sing. On that cold, rainy day, I couldn't believe that any creature had a reason to sing. I wanted to shoot that bird. Okay, at least you're being honest, right? But he continued to warble, and I had no choice but to listen. You know, you can't move. You have to pretty much endure it, right? Well, the next day, he found me out on the porch again. But this time, the atmosphere was bright and sunny and warm. And as I sat, being tempted to feel sorry for myself, suddenly the bird, or at least it looked like the same one, returned. And he was singing again. Where was that shotgun? And then amazing, an amazing truth hit me head on. The bird sang in the cold rain as well as in the sunny warmth. His song was not altered by outward circumstances, but it was held constant by an internal condition. 
It was as though God quietly said to me, you've got the same choice, Bob. You will either let your external circumstances mold your attitude or your attitude will rise above the external circumstances you choose. And friends, as we learn to rejoice in the Lord, our lives reflect his presence in us. There's a lady, one of our ladies that's been in the hospital, and she told me this week, if you go deep enough, you will find joy in the midst of your struggle if you focus on him. So circumstances, relationships, achievements, they're going to come and go. They're going to ebb and flow. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so joy comes from focusing on Jesus. So friends, you want the gift of Christmas? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture. How we need our souls refreshed by your presence to direct our attention upon the loveliness of Christ, to worship you. Father, we pray that this Christmas season, we would have lives characterized by authentic joy because we are truly going to the source of joy, who is Christ. And for those who are here who have never placed their faith in him, joy is something they've never really experienced. But they turn from their sin and trust Christ as the Savior and the payment for their sins and the Lord of their life. Lord, may we live lives experiencing the goodness and the grace of your presence. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.